All right, let's read First uh, Peter. We've been in. If, if you're just joining us, we're in the book of Peter, First Peter, which is a letter, pastoral letter. Uh, today we're in chapter two. We're going to pick up from verse eleven, and we're going to go all the way. We're going to hopefully try to finish rest of the chapter. So we'll read from First Peter chapter two, verse eleven, to the end of the chapter. I'm not going to try to read that. I'm going to read it right here. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure But if when you do good and suffer, for it is you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of God. Thanks be Like I had cultural shock because people were holding doors and I was like so far away. I was like, no, just, just, just leave it, man. I'm good. I want to relax. My, I'll walk there, but you don't have to hold the door, right? But, but in Virginia, you hold the door for anybody and everybody. In Korea, I realized after a while, I don't hold doors for everyone because it makes people uncomfortable. Like when you do nice things, I realize all oh, people are like, oh, what's this guy trying to do, right? So 
I mean, I, I, I obviously if there's like mom with like children, I try to hold the door. But like for everyone else, I'm just more mindful. Like Friday night, you jump in a subway, you are foregoing any sense of personal space, right? They'll bump you, they'll hit you, they'll push you, but no, nobody's doing it out of malicious intent. It's just Friday, Friday night on a subway, right? That's what we say. Like living in Seoul, that's part of what happens. And in our passage, Peter, in our, in our section, we're at the heart of the letter. P- Peter says, this is how it sort of feels like as you've become Christian, as you've committed to this new faith, now as you live in the world, you're going to feel like you don't really belong. You belong, but you don't. And again, we've been in the study of Book of Peter, which is a pastoral letter written by a guy named Peter, written around 60s AD. And this letter addresses mostly non-Jewish Christians whom are facing tremendous level of persecution. They're doing faith in a hostile environment And he writes to pastorally care for the struggling congregations, not just one congregation, multiple congregations in the Asia Minor, which is a modern-day Turkey. And we're picking up from chapter 2, verse 11, where Peter continues to encourage these local churches. As their pastor, as an apostle, he has these encouragements for these local churches. And we get to a place where he's talking about living faithfully in the midst of hostile hostile environment, Uh, not only challenges within the church, we talked about challenges in the church, but especially challenges outside of the church with the government, with the emperor, with their neighbors, non-Christian neighbors, they were struggling, Uh, they were being dragged to prison, they were accused of things that they did not do, yet Peter says, you have a distinct identity, You are not part of this world anymore. You are sojourners and exiles. You have new, not only distinct identity, but you have this new allegiance to a different kingdom. So three things from our text, verses 11 to 25, they all deal with three areas, or or Peter calls us to, to live in these three ways. One, live humbly or honorably. Second, live humbly. Third, live trustingly. Live honorably, live humbly, live trustingly. But first, verse 11, that's where we, we begin today. Peter says, Beloved, you are sojourners and exiles. Let's unpack that a little bit, this idea of sojourners and exiles. You see, for the people at the time of the letter, different to our context, a person's faith, when you decide to become a Christian, was not simply a personal choice, but this impacted everything in life culture community and everything in between every holiday festival every business transaction private social gatherings family gatherings had these pagan religious rites deeply embedded in them so it was for the original readers the original audience their newfound faith had, as it should, brought these many new challenges. They couldn't simply participate in many of these public and private rituals because, again, they were deeply influenced by gods of their culture. A lot of what they did, even Korea, when they open a business, have, have you seen them, they do this thing called, I don't know if it's called Cheza, okay, now I'm, I'm, creating, I'm creating stories, but they have this pig head, right? Not, not anymore as common, but it's very common growing up. I remember walking by new stores and they'll have pig head and they'll put money in there and, and they have these rituals, very similar. 
in that context. So it, it would be very extremely, it would, it would be extremely lonely and, and, and just inconvenient to be a Christian in a non-Christian world. And, and Peter and Paul, not just Peter, but Paul also in his letters have dealt extensively on this idea of you and I having new citizenship. They both use the term sojourners, resident alien, exiles, foreigners. And really to talk about this idea of being in the world, but not of the world. Being in the world, but not of the world. Verse 9, remember, remember last week, we're in verse 9, chapter 2. Peter reminds them, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is who you are. So, verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, the Greek word that Peter chooses to use for sojourners in our text is parokos, paroikos, describing someone who is near but not in it. This idea of dwelling near or neighboring, but not in it. To engage and to participate in the communities and societies which they reside in, yet recognizing that their true joy and hope isn't ultimately found in what this life can offer. This is Peter's encouragement. To live with great joy and hope for the world that will come beyond this world, a far greater home, a far greater kingdom to live distinctively, with integrity, to trust that the one who has begun a good work, he has brought us to a new kingdom with new vision. And so three ways, let's talk, talk about how Peter challenges us. First, live as exiles and sojourners, live honorably. Verse 12, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. So far, Peter has been urging us, right, chapter 1 and parts of chapter 2 to read the word, like an infant desiring his or her, her mother's milk. Like with that intensity, you should desire the truth of God's word. That's been chapter 1, that's been part of chapter 2. And, and Peter is really telling us, root your life in the word of truth. Don't worry about what people say. Don't worry about what the culture says. Root your life in the word of truth. And now he shifts and he says, not only remain in the word, not only desire the word like spiritual milk, but now live God's truth. Live them out in your life. Practice what you have read. Practice what you have learned. And you, you live them out honorably among those who are not saved. And for us, same thing. In our relationships, in our workplaces, in our business dealings, really the call is to live out the truth of God's word, to live with integrity, which is not easy, even when it contradicts the prevailing norms of our culture. It means to maintain honesty when dishonesty honesty seems to be much more convenient, much more profitable, again, because our identity is rooted not in what we can gain or receive or buy or earn, but because it's rooted in the truth of who God is. So I've always been interested in small businesses, right? I'm a business major, you know, my story into um, seminaries is a little bit different from others, but 
this year, beginning of this year, I thought, hey, I'm interested in um, small businesses. And so I invested into my friend's uh, pet business. Pet, just, I, I love dogs, but it was more of a better business idea. So I invested into a pet business and, you know, just as an investor, being involved in these meetings, it made me realize, like, I've, been, I've done pastoral ministry for, you know, over 10 years. That's, that's been my main thing. And, and to jump into a business world, jump back into business world, made me realize how hard it is for me to be Christian and to make a profit. I realized, like, how difficult it is, how challenging it must be for you guys, our congregation, as Christians to navigate the working world. To remain distinct yet produce good work. I, I, I didn't realize. As a pastor, we have our struggles, we have our challenges. As members, congregation members, man, the challenges are different, but just as intense. You know, I realize it's not easy to, to the working relationship with clients, with people who use our services. It's not easy to work with, you know, our non-Christian coworkers or bosses board members it's not easy to work in a non-christian environment it's not easy it's 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 hard it's tough we we go out you guys share your stories of your bosses and your coworkers, and yet that's the call that's the that's the reason why god called you to where you are today wherever you are today whatever workplace that god has given you that's the reason why God has placed you where, where you are today. Friends, when you show up to work, you have a unique call to carry yourself in an honorable way. See, others may cut corners, others may slander, others may slack, but you and I, we have been called to do our best because Paul says we represent God and his kingdom, that others will see us and glorify God. Again, not easy. But nobody said following Jesus was going to be easy. Last week, um, speaking about following rules and and things, last week, I I have my driving stories. Last week, I was driving. There was a lot of traffic Saturday. We were visiting a friend who was going to leave the country soon. And so, you know, I I was feeling rushed. And we were, uh, I had to make a U-turn. And there was a car in front of me. He made an illegal U-turn because traffic was jammed up and, Whatever reason. So I just literally just, I knew it was wrong, but I just follow, followed. I made the illegal U-turn. Guess what? There's a policeman standing right there pulling us over. Um, and, you know, we, it's like 10-minute conversation, you know. I, I don't even, I used to be like, oh, I'm a foreigner. Can you let me? No, I'm just like, yeah, give me the ticket. I'll, you know, I'll pay the fine. Um, so, you know, I, I, that happened. A few days later, uh, I was driving with Lois, and I was in my neighborhood, and there is a... Uh, a, a, a left turn, and usually you have to wait for the signal, right? But usually I, I, I yield on the green, and I, without the signal, I just turn, right? And Lois uh, looked at me politely, and she's like, tell me, why do you break so many rules? You know, I was, and, and, and you know, I wasn't really thinking about it. I was just telling Lois, like, we're just talking like, Lois, this is a stupid rule. Like, the, the light takes forever. Like, Cars are not coming. You know, to me, it does, the law doesn't really make sense. Law is supposed to serve us people, but law doesn't. So, and so I said, because it doesn't make sense to me, I, I, I don't follow them. And then I was like listening to myself, you know, like I was like removing myself. I'm like, that sounds ridiculous. That just because the law doesn't make sense or the law doesn't work for me, I choose to ignore it, right? Um, 
And I'm thinking, that sounds so dumb. Like, you can't do that. Law is there to protect you and protect people. And just because it doesn't work for you or it doesn't make sense to you, you can't break it. Right? I'm, I'm having like, it's me and Lois, but I'm having conversation with myself. I'm like, oh, Lois, I'll, I'll take that back. I, I, we'll talk about it later. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yet, yet when you think about our approach to living honorably, honorably or li- our approach to trusting and, and obeying God's word, we do that so often with God's word. Some of us, this is how we approach God's word, right? If it makes sense, if it's encouraging, if, it, if, if it's fitting to our season, we're like, good, yes. But as soon as it becomes hard or it becomes challenging or it becomes difficult, what we do, we, we just say, oh, well, it doesn't really apply. I, I'll come back to it. Many of us approach God's word not as infants. That's what Peter suggests, like, like, like an infant, hungry, like hungry infant desiring its mother's milk. But many of us, we approach God's word or we we obey God's word as an entitled six-year-old. I have, I have a five-year-old, and she's very picky about food. She's like, I want this, I want that. I'll eat this, I won't eat that. And I feel like sometimes, not all of us, maybe just me, we, we have this sort of funny relationship when we think about obeying and living honorably. If it makes sense, we'll do it. If it doesn't, we won't. If it feels good, we'll do it today. Tomorrow, we won't. And Proverbs chapter 12, 15 says very clearly, the way of fools seems right to them. That's me, right? I think, oh, I, I, know, the, I know what's better for the, for the world. I don't need to follow the law. It doesn't make sense. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. In my case, to a ticket, but yes, death. Friends, more times than we would like to admit, more times I would like to admit, we are way too trusting of our own perception. We assume, that's the mistake we make, we assume we know what is best for us, what is right for us, what is good for us, without considering the fact that we might actually be completely off. That we might not actually have a good awareness of what's happening in in me, around the world. And in fact, that's how often I get in trouble. That's often how we get in trouble when we assume instead of trusting the written word of God, the truth of God, we just pick and choose or we sort of try to figure out life and that's when we get into troubles. And so here, Peter warns us. In fact, he says in our passage, not just trust, trust God's word, he says, go to war against your own desires. That's a very strong language. Go to war against your own perception and desires. Don't be so sure about your own judgment. I, I hear Peter saying, invite others to speak into your life, others who are mature, others who fear the Lord, others who actually care about you, who trust you, who won't simply tell you what you want to hear. 
and again allowed the word of God to be the beacon and the guiding light. Don't break traffic laws. Live honorably. Second point, live humbly. Verses 13 to 17, Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be emperor or governors, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. But before we dive into this idea of submission, living humbly, just a quick touch on what Peter is not saying about submission. Peter is not saying blindly follow all leadership because there are, if we're honest, there are some bad leadership that's happening in our lives. There are instances where questioning or challenging authority is not only important, but it is needed, it is required, particularly in cases of injustice, discrimination, unethical uh, violations. In fact, we spent four weeks in the month of April talking about how God deeply cares about this idea of justice. So again, what Peter is not saying is even, even when people are breaking rules and doing wrong things, you follow, you submit. That's not what he's saying. In our passage, Peter is really speaking about a general posture that you and I to carry, posture of respect, cooperation, and understanding. And even that idea, right, of respect, cooperation, understanding, in many ways, this is counter to our culture. Because we live in a culture where this, if, if we are really honest, the scales is tipped towards personal autonomy versus collective good. Think about your workplace. Think about if you're a manager. Or think about your employees. Think about your coworkers. When they think about work, it's about, oh, what, what, how, what do I want? How do I want to advance my career? What's, what's good for me? this widespread of distrust that our culture has for any form of authority. I talked about my friend's a dentist, and and it's really hard to be any kind of like uh, medical field because everybody comes and they Google search, they Googled how to, you know, and they tell you how to do their job. Like people don't trust authority. I don't trust my dentist either. Actually, my dentist is my father-in-law, so I I do trust him. But other dentists outside of my father-in-law, Right? We, we, do, we don't like authority. We, there's this trust. Because there's been abuse of power. There's been corruption. And we operate in a culture where we are skeptical and questioning of those in power have become deeply ingrained in our culture. That's probably not just in, with our government, not just in our workplace, but also with the church. Right? There's just been so much corruption and brokenness. So when we approach even a local body, it's like, can I trust the leadership here? And if you think about the context, Peter, Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are living in an extre- extreme hostile environment, who are put in prison, things are being taken away, they're not invited. And verse 18 to 19, Peter says, if you're a Christian servant, if you're a Christian manager, if you manage someone's household as Christian, be subject to your master with all respect, not to those who are good and gentle, but even to those who are unjust. And that sounds like a very, very difficult thing to do, 
to, to, to submit to unjust leadership. Not just the people who are nice to us, but people who mistreat us, people who accuse us. Yet Peter says, verse 6, you are free. Right? You see verse 6, Peter says, live as people who are free, people who have been set free. That freedom that you have received through Christ, live in that reality. Because that freedom, Peter is saying, cannot be taken from you. In verse 6, so he says, live as a free individual, but live as servants of God. How does freedom and being a slave, because I think Peter here has this idea of house slave, right? not in, in North American context, but in, in their context, like a manager or someone. Who's, he says, you live as free servants of God. Friends, only those who are truly free can choose to submit to authority. Because genuine submission always requires a sense of autonomy and agency. Only true, truly free individuals who possess the ability to exercise their own will and make independent decisions can willingly submit to authority. When people are oppressed or coerced, their submission is not genuine. They have no choice. True submissions require trust, respect, and autonomy. Sometimes I think it's easier to just follow because you have no choice. To have a choice and to choose to follow, especially people that may, we may not feel like they're worthy to follow, that's much more challenging. Yet verse 15, we might not like this, but Peter says this is the will of God. That there, are, there are times, friends, what he's saying is there are times We might be in a situation, we might have a boss, or we might have a teacher, or we might have some kind of authority in our life that we might not like. They might mistreat us, and Peter says, well, you still choose to not be their servants, not to be a slave to your boss or to your teacher or whatever authority, but to God. Because that freedom that you have cannot be taken away, or that freedom that you have will remain with you. And in verse 15, he says, By doing good, you should put silence the ignorance of foolish people. What Peter is saying is our weapon against ignorance, because we have a lot of ignorant people in our lives, right? We have a lot of ignorant leadership over our lives. Peter says, Weapon against ignorance is what? It's not retaliation, it is not fighting back. It is not lashing out. It is not slander, but it is humility. Peter says, our humility, when you and I approach them in humility, that's going to silence any ignorance. Yet, this is not easy. It's easier to slander someone we don't like. It's easier to walk away from that relationship or walk away from that job. It's easier to retaliate and, and, and fight Trusting God in the situation that we don't like is not easy. Trusting God's plan and vision for our season is not easy. Trusting God that He isn't orchestrating evil but good is not easy because we feel like things just are terrible and things are just so hard. Verse 16, 
Like that song we sang, uh, our sister Joyce picked a wonderful song. I'm going to choose forgiveness. I'm going to choose death. Like that, when I was singing that, I was like, that, these are intense lyrics. And can we really sing this with, with genuine, genuine obedience? Like choosing Jesus' way. Yeah, verse 19, if you look at the text, Peter says, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. You see verse 19? This is a gracious thing when we face, when we are treated unjustly by authority in our life. Peter says this can be an opportunity for you to experience the grace if, when you are mindful of God. The term mindful of God in verse 19 needs to be highlighted here, right? It refers to being aware of God, being in tune with God and His vision and His purpose. So even when we are mistreated, if we remain mindful of God, that God is the ultimate authority, that He's the ultimate one who makes decisions about my life, He's the only one who we answer to ultimately. Even in the worst situations, we can experience His grace. And you're like, Peter, get out of here, man. This sounds so not like reality. Yet Peter says, there's no place where God's grace cannot enter. In our suffering, God's grace increases what seems paradoxical and outright scandalous unless... This is what Christ has endured for us. And this is the final point. Live, live trustingly. Verse 21, listen to Peter. For, this, for to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow. Friends, our own suffering can have profound purpose and redemptive value when we view it through the lens of Jesus and the suffering he has endured for you and I. If you live long enough, if you work enough, if you've experienced relationships enough, you are going to be misunderstood. You are going to be disregarded, even mistreated, even unjustly judged. If all of us, in our, unless you lived alone in the middle of nowhere forever, we're going to experience relational troubles. We're going to be mistreated. We're going to be unfairly judged. I've experienced that in ministry. You've experienced that. All of us experience that kind of things, right? That's just reality. That's what it means to just live in this broken world. Yet being a follower of Jesus does not mean, and, and following, being a follower of Jesus does not mean we will be spared of those experiences. Yet Peter says, if we continue to entrust ourselves like Jesus entrusted himself to the Father, that's what Peter says, we can respond with restraint and grace and even love, again, not because we are some superhuman or we can detach ourselves from any kind of hurt or brokenness, but because we have Jesus' spirit in us, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, the very spirit lives in us. In verse 24, and this is where we end, he himself bore our sins in his body on tree. By his wounds, we have been healed. By his wounds... We have been healed. Verse 25, we were like sheep without shepherd. Yet now through Christ, we have returned to our shepherd 
the overseer of the soul. Friends, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, we are never left alone to fight our battles. Whatever you're facing in this season, whatever relational challenges that you're facing, whether at work, at school, at home, wherever places, Peter encourages us, there's grace. His grace, if you're mindful of him, if you remember what Christ did for you, we can be encouraged. So let's, I want to go into time of prayer. And, and, you know, at this time, I want to give you a moment to pray through some of the trials you're facing, relational challenges, maybe challenges at work. This is what I'm struggling with. This is... But we would really honor and revere your word. Can we make that a prayer over our leadership, over people in our congregation? that we would not depend our own perception of what is right, what is wrong, but we would come to His Word and continue to ask, Lord, what would you like us to do? How would you like us to live? May there be a genuine fear of God's Word. Can we pray together over our community, over people in this space? Let's pray. Father, you have given us your Word. You have given us your truth. You have revealed yourself through the word, who you are, your character. And Lord, we we repent. Repent of our casual approach. Repent of our our willingness to choose and pick. And I just pray, Lord, we we repent. There'll be a genuine reverence for your word. Hunger for your word. Like, Like a spiritual infant crying out for its mother's milk. Pray for that truth of our congregation, our elders, those that are preaching, teaching, teach our place of reverence for your word. Father, we repent of this casual approach to your truth. We repent of our unwillingness to, 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 to dig deep into your word when when life gets hard and we need to make decisions, God, we repent of simply relying on our own practical wisdom or ideas or understanding. We turn from our ways, Lord, and we want to hear from you. Lord, we pray for genuine hunger in this room for your word. Lord, would you teach us how to kneel before your word once again? Would you teach us how to study your word, how to live out your word? And as we honor and love your word, would you continue to send us out? Lord, I pray for if anyone is struggling with authorities in their, in their, in their lives, Lord, your grace, your grace would cover them. 
being mindful of who you are would, would, would give relief, but also challenge us again to trust you. We thank you again. Thank you for this time.